Good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Hey, my name is Clint Trebish, and uh, I get the privilege of joining you all this morning. It's a joy for me to be here. Uh, I get to be up here in place of Todd Cullen, who's normally a preacher and teacher here. He, uh, he decided to skip church this weekend and went, uh, and went to a soccer game, a Liverpool soccer game, with his son, Sean, up in Charlotte. And... Uh, no, he needed a break. He, it was, it's been good for him to get away, to take his son up to the soccer game and have a, a weekend away. So he asked me if I'd come and share with you guys this morning. My wife and I uh, are, are on staff with a missions organization called The Navigators, and we live in Atlanta, Georgia, and we're one of uh, Hilton Head Island Community Church's global partners. And so it's a joy for us to be, for me to be with you all this morning. I, I wanted to thank you guys, thank this church for a couple of things. One is, thank you for being a church that loves Jesus. I know that you're a church that loves Jesus. It's been fun for me to see this church grow from the days that it came on the island from Low Country Community. Um, thanks for being a church that loves this community. I know you guys love this community. And thanks for being a church that loves the Great Commission and loves being part of uh, sending and supporting missionaries like us. Um, I also want to thank Todd and Cynthia for giving me the opportunity to share with you guys this morning. Hey, my story, we're talking, we're talking about what's your story. This is the series you guys are in right now, and Todd shared last week on why your story is important. And this morning, we're going to talk about how do you break the ice? How can I break the ice in my story, with my story, and engaging in conversations with people about Jesus? And my story starts uh, really when I went to college, I grew up in a small town in western Colorado, and uh, I grew up in the mountains, and I loved the mountains, and I loved everything the mountains provided, and so I worshipped a few things there. I worshipped recreation and fun, and I worshipped money, and this is, this is what my life revolved around growing up. These were, these were my gods. And then I went to college. I went to the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs, and uh, right away I thought, I'm going to give myself to partying, chasing after girls, uh, skipping class. These are the things that I really was ambitious about. I had high ambitions, you can see. And I got an A in all of those things. Uh, yeah, I, I just was a train wreck, a disaster when I started college. And I quickly came to realize that none of these things were really that fulfilling. They were not satisfying. The things that I've been pursuing with my life were not things that were bringing me joy, like I hoped they were. And so my RA, my advisor in the dorms, who was a friend of mine, at the end of my freshman year, um, he, had been in, he had been inviting me week after week to join him and a couple other guys in a Bible study. And I kept turning him down week after week. I said, no thanks, and I rejected it. But towards the end of my freshman year, I thought maybe I should check this out. I've tried to give myself to a lot of other things, and none of it's been working out. So maybe I'll check this out. And so I started reading the Bible with a group of guys, a group of friends. And, and Tyler, my friend, he just kept taking steps of faith and boldness to invite me, this messed up guy, to start reading the Bible with him and exploring Jesus. And what ended up happening was he and a couple other guys just walked through the gospel with me. And we were looking at it together. And I came to realize I was not going to heaven. I was a sinner. I was in need of Jesus. And on my own effort, my own works, there was no way I was getting into heaven. And that rocked my world. And so at the end of my freshman year, I gave my life to Christ. I received 
Jesus. And I look back on my story and I see three kind of phases. The first phase was rejecting Jesus in my life. And the second phase was receiving him and then beginning this new life with him. And I wish I could tell you it was a change overnight, but it was a process of learning how to have a relationship with God. And now I'm in this third phase with a family. I have two little girls, a three-year-old and an eight-month-old little girl in Atlanta. And, and the, the stage of life we're in right now is running with Jesus and rejoicing with Jesus. And what that looks like for us in our lives is after I'd received Christ, I started thinking, maybe if I just start reading the Bible, I'll have all my questions answered. So I started reading the Bible, and then I had more questions. I had more and more questions. It just kept coming up. And I thought, well, this, this isn't what I thought. This doesn't make sense. And, uh, and a friend of mine came alongside and said, why don't you invite a couple of your old buddies to start reading the Bible with you? And I said, no way am I doing that. That's too much. He said, I think you should. And uh, so I took, a, I took a risk, and I started inviting a few of my friends. And I'm going to pause on this story and come back to it here in a little bit. But uh, fast forwarding, for the last 10 years, my wife and I have been giving our lives to helping college students know Jesus and making disciples among college students. And we just got to Atlanta a year ago, and uh, this story is so personal for me. This message is so personal for me today because it, it, it is intertwined in my own life so much. And to, to get into our message today, there are three great fears I have in my life. I have three fears. One is that something tragic would happen to one of my family members, to one of my girls, my daughters or my wife. That's a fear I have. The second one, not as great of a fear, but it's a legitimate fear, is that being from Colorado, that the, the Denver Broncos would make it back to the Super Bowl and utterly fail and flop again. And uh, you know, I, I just wreck. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I do have another fear, and it's engaging with people about evangelism. Evangelism is, is this taboo word in Christianity, and even in our culture, period. It's the E word. And we don't want to engage in it. But we're going to look at today how this is going to happen. So this morning, we're going to explore how to engage with others in evangelism, by breaking the ice into spiritual conversations about Jesus. And my goal is this. My goal is that we would leave here this morning with a little more know-how, confidence, and eagerness to really begin engaging with the people that God has placed right around us, the people in our, in our spheres of influence, our relational networks. And here's where it starts. It starts with knowing and understanding the joy of life with Jesus. If we don't have real relationship with God, with Jesus, and we don't know the joy of life with him, the rest of this isn't going to make sense. It's not going to work. It's going to be dreaded. It starts with having a real relationship with the God of the universe, with Jesus Christ, and knowing the joy of following him, that he's promised us life, three kinds of life. He wants us to have new life. He wants us to have abundant life. He gives us eternal life. And so let me pray for us, and we're going to open the Bible together, and we're going to start into this, breaking the ice. So Lord, Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you, God, would give us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear this morning, that we would take your word as truth, and that we would learn what it looks like to be like you. God, our aim is not to be like anyone else. Our goal is to be like you, Jesus. And I pray that by the power of your spirit, 
In the power of your word, you would work in our hearts this morning and lead us to uh, this great commission, this great challenge you have, the joy of following you and bringing others to you. And I pray this in your name, Lord. Hey, we're going to open up to John chapter 4 this morning. All right, in John chapter 4, I'm going to read a bunch of scripture here. We're going to look at verses 5 through 42. So I'm going to read through this pretty quick, and we're going to break it down together. In John 4, verse 5, it says, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And a Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us these things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed, believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This morning, we're going to take a look at how do we engage with people like this. We're going to look at how these characters really kind of manifested this. And, and the first thing I want us to take a look at is the four barriers that hinder us from breaking the ice. All right, now the first, Jesus, the context, Jesus had been traveling. He was, he was tired. He, he was engaging with people constantly. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had kind of driven him out of this area. And so they were traveling up through an area where Jewish people traditionally did not travel. You know, there were a lot of cultural barriers. There were a lot of prejudice. And so normally Jewish people went around this area. And he says, we're going to go right through the middle of it. And so they go through Samaria. And here's where we pick it up. In verse 6, what does it say? Jesus, wearied as he was, was sitting beside the well. The first barrier that can hinder us is a weariness. Jesus was weary. He was tired. And I look at this, and I can identify, I can relate. How many times have I been too tired to engage? You know, I get home from work. I've been on campus all day. And I just, I'm too tired to engage with other people. Or I, I want my own personal time, my own personal space. And some of you can identify with this. The second barrier is with the woman. Now, in the middle of the day, this was not typical for a woman to have come out and, and gotten water at this well. And what we see as Jesus engages with her is she was an outcast. The woman was outcast, and I would say that she was afraid. And if you're following along on the worship guide, this is where, this is where we're going. This woman was rejected by her culture because of her promiscuity. She was, she was an adulteress. She had been with these, all these men. And the chances are that she was directly outcast by her, her culture and her people. And so she was afraid to engage with the people. And then this man comes along, and she's not interested in engaging with him. She's afraid. And so she says, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Why are you talking to me? Don't you know there are cultural barriers here? Don't you know this is not acceptable? And Jesus says, this is not what we're talking, this, that's, that's not an issue. All right, so the woman was outcast and afraid. The third barrier is that with the disciples. The disciples, in verse 8, it says they went away into the town to get food. All right, and we see it in a couple other verses that they were just all about their own business. All right, the disciples were, were totally involved in themselves. All right, they were sent to go get food, and they totally disregarded the fact that there are a lot of people in this town and that they have been hanging out with the Savior of the world and they just go in to buy food, and they don't tell anyone. And so I would say this. The disciples were preoccupied, and they were distracted. And these guys miss it. They were so narrow-minded in their own business, they missed so many opportunities around them. They were distracted with the incredible privilege of bringing people to Jesus because they had this little job, or they had their own comfort zone. And I look at this, and I think, oh, I... I identify with this so well. 
It is so easy for me to get focused on one task or, or just to be distracted from what's going on around me that I miss out on so many opportunities. Barrier number four is the Samaritans were disconnected. They were removed. And part of it was their own doing. Part of it was because of the conflict with the woman. But these people are in this town, clueless, that God is right outside. They're clueless. They have no idea. They're totally disconnected with the situation because of their own conflicts. So when I look at these barriers, I think, when we moved to Atlanta a year ago, we moved uh, last July, and the day we moved there, we were, we, we'd rolled into Atlanta, we were renting a house, and one of my friends, the only guy I knew in Atlanta, was meeting us there. And he, he pulled up at the same time we did, and uh, right away, I, the first thing I kind of saw was, on the side in our, in our next door neighbor's driveway were these three guys hanging out. All right, these three guys were smoking pot, and they were drinking. And I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> this is where we, we moved into this neighborhood, and these guys are next door here. And uh, little did I know, they were, these guys were just like who I was at one point. But I think these guys are going to be a hindrance, you know, and I'm thinking, I do not want to engage with these guys. I'm already thinking, I've got young kids. This is not the kind of neighbors that I want to have. I had no choice. And so right away, I had all these preconceived notions. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to get to meet them today. And, uh, and I hadn't even gotten out of the car yet. All right, so I get out of the car, and my friend Matt comes up, and he's like, hey, the neighbors are out. Let's go meet the neighbors. <laughs> and I'm thinking, no way. If you only knew what I was really thinking, there, there'd be no way. And so as we're walking you know, these, these 10 steps, I have all these fears that come up. I'm thinking, who are these guys? I don't know these guys. You know, are these, are they, how, are they rough? Are they going to be dangerous? Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, these, they're three African-American guys. I'm thinking, I, I can't relate to these guys because of, so, you know, some of the own issues in my life. And, you know, I just had all these things going on in my mind. This is just personally in my mind. And I'm thinking, how am I going to relate? How am I going to connect? I don't want to. I don't want to. And Matt and I go over and Matt's like, hey, I'm Matt, you know, and and he's kind of waiting for me, and I'm like, hey, I'm Clint. And uh, they're like, who are you? What do you want? I was like, well, we're just moving in next door, and thought we'd get to know you, you know, introduce myself. They're like, all right, yo, what's up? And uh, I was like, well, we're going to be moving in today, so maybe we can get to know each other. And they're like, all right, whatever. So I go back over, and I'm thinking, man, I was so foolish. My first reaction should have been when I pulled in, hey, neighbors are out. This is such a great opportunity. We're fresh in the neighborhood. Let's go meet them. I'm going to pick that story up here in a little bit. But here's my, here's my question for you. We've got a couple of questions. There are barriers all of us can identify with. Being tired, being afraid, being preoccupied, being disconnected because of conflicts or whatever. What barriers can you identify with the most? And I want us to think about this in the context of the people right around us. Who is right around us that God has put us in positions to engage with and we're not engaging? What is hindering you from engaging with others about Jesus? What's hindering you? Well, as I got to know those guys next door, some amazing things happened. And God started working in and through me, in spite of my own selfish 
desires and ambitions. And I started to see what we're going to look at next, some, some bridges developed. And so out of this passage, I, I see four bridges that God is asking us to cross to engage with the people around us. All right, now in verse 7, what happens? Jesus, tired as he was, overcomes that boundary or that barrier, and he initiates the conversation. That's the first barrier. Jesus initiates the conversation. He says, woman, can I have a drink? Can I have a drink? Give me a drink. I don't think he's demanding in it. I think he's legitimately saying, I'm thirsty. Give me a drink. And she, she says, what are you talking about? You're not supposed to talk with me, and you don't even have a bucket to get water out of. And, you know, and she's just resistant. But Jesus takes a step to overcome the barrier, and he initiates with her. The second bridge to cross is identifying common ground. And what Jesus does is he engages with her, initiates with her. He starts to talk with her about who she is. He starts talking with her because she's responding in a negative way, but he just continues to gently engage with her. And he identifies common grounds. And they talk about, you know, the cultural norm of who worshiped and what's going on. And, and they, all of a sudden they, they see that the barriers that existed are starting to break apart. He identifies common grounds. The third bridge to cross is introducing your relationship with Jesus. Now, a few years ago, when, uh, when I, many years ago now, when I had come to Christ, uh, this was one of my greatest fears as I had started walking with Jesus. Was what, if I tell people about my relationship, I'm thinking, will they reject me? Am I going to lose friendships? Am I going to be outcast? Am I going to be labeled with this religious thing? I, there were all these fears that I had put in my own life. And when I started reading the Bible with a couple of friends, some amazing things happened. I took some steps to introduce my relationship with Jesus. And I would say, I wish I could tell you, every person I invited to start reading the Bible with me said yes. But it didn't happen. It just doesn't happen like that. What happened was the majority said no. They said, I'm not interested in that. That's, that's kind of your thing now. But a few said yes. A couple of guys said, yeah, actually, I've seen a difference in your life. As I was starting to grow in my relationship with God, my buddies had started to see a change. And they said, I'd be, I'd be interested in checking this out with you. And so as I started reading the Bible with these guys, a couple of these guys started accepting Christ. And they started relationship with Jesus on their own. And I'll tell you this, all those guys that turned me down and said no didn't even matter because there were a couple that said yes. And that motivated me and that gave me so much ambition to start asking other guys. It didn't matter about the ones that turned me down and rejected it. The fourth bridge to cross is invite them to investigate Jesus with you. And I love how Jesus does this. You know, this woman is kind of getting to it on her own. She says, you know, we're waiting on God to come back. We're waiting for the Messiah. And when he comes, he's going to tell us all these things. And Jesus is like, that's me. I'm here. You have been waiting for me to come. And you didn't even realize it. You know, and all of a sudden it clicks for her. And she realizes, you're right. And she runs back to her town, even though she's been outcast, and she says, 
I found the Messiah. I just met God, Jesus. And he told me all these things. He told me everything I, I did. He has to be the Messiah. And these people are like, what? And they, they say, well, well we've got to check this out. And so then they come. Even though the disciples are totally duds, they come and they start meeting Jesus for themselves. I love this woman's faith. I love that she takes initiative then to say, hey, I've met Jesus. You've got to come meet him too. I look at this and I think, uh, one of the big things that I wrestle with is people who have known me or know me well know a few things about me, okay? They know, so I grew up in Colorado and people know that I love the outdoors. I love the mountains. So I, I grew up skiing, I grew up mountain biking and climbing and all this stuff and and I used to love four-wheeling. I used to have a Jeep. And so people that have known me know these passions in my life. People know I love food. I love food. And I love trying new foods. And we hit the jackpot moving to Atlanta because there's a lot of good food in Atlanta. And so people know these things about me. But all that pales because the greatest passion in my life has become my relationship with God, with Jesus. And I think if I am truly a follower of God, this has to be preeminent. This has to be the first and foremost thing in my life, relationship with him. And this is what I'm wrestling with, because if this is true, and my passion first and foremost is Jesus, why wouldn't I want to share that with other people? I share my interests in other things, in sports. I love sports. People know that, and I share those things. What's holding me back from wanting to share Jesus, my first passion, my first love? And so as I got to know these guys next door, all right, their names were Tay, Dee, and Maymay, all right? So I get to know these three guys, and I'm building a relationship with these guys. And these guys are teaching me a lot of stuff about street life in Atlanta. You know, we're, we're close to downtown Atlanta. And, and uh, I come outside, and most days they're doing exactly the same thing they were doing when we first moved in. They're smoking and drinking in the driveway. And, I, you know, I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? I know what they're doing, but what are you guys doing? And you know, we start conversations, and we just have been getting to know each other. And so over the last year, I've been getting to know these guys, and these guys have become friends. And we hang out. Not, I don't go out with them, but we hang out in front of our house. And we talk about life, and they've got kids, and we've invited their kids to come over and play. And, and so their kids play with our kids, and our girls have gotten to know their girls and their sons, you know. And, and, we, and we fed them so, sometimes, you know. And it's been so fun to build relationship with them. And what started as such fear and such unknown has become such a blessing. And I'll tell you this. The joy has really become ours. Because as we've gotten to know them and as they've invited us into their lives and they, they've seen some things in us that we are, haven't shied away from, they know that we love Jesus. I ride the city bus with them, which is something I had to overcome a fear in, riding the bus into downtown. And as I've gotten to know these guys, these guys have opened their lives, and they've shared what's going on in their lives. And God's given me opportunities to pray for them. One of the guys, uh, May May, he said, Clint, uh, I got to tell you, he came over one day on his own, he said, I got to tell you, man, I, I got in trouble again for something. I was like, well, what, you know, how serious was it? And he said, well, I need to turn myself in to the police. And uh, he said, but uh, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to turn myself in. I'm probably going to be back in jail for four weeks. He's in and out of jail a lot. He said, man, if I gave you my prisoner ID number, would you write to me? Or would you come visit me or something? 
I said, man, I said, we came here to work with college students, but I'd love to come visit you in prison, man. I did not think that's what we were going to get into when we moved to Atlanta. I said, can I pray for you? He said, I would love for you to pray for me. So I pray with him, and I said, I said, May, May, what really is driving you in life? And he told me some stuff. I said, do you know what drives me? Becoming like Christ. And I, and I thought, I didn't know how he was going to respond. This is early on. He said, tell me more about that. I was blown away he said that. So I said, let me share my faith with you. So I got to share the gospel with him. And he was at a point where he was, he was ripe. He was ready to hear it. And so Mamie and I have a conversation about Jesus. And then some of the other guys start hearing about it. And some of their cousins. And one day I'm walking down the street uh, to get on the bus. And I see one of the guys at the corner with two other guys I didn't know. My guess was there's a deal going on. And so I'm like, do I just avoid it? Do I say hey? And I felt like, no, I've got to know this guy. I'm going to say hey. So I walk up. I said, what's up, V? How you doing? And these other two guys kind of like, who are you? And then they take a step back. And D realizes it, and he was like, guys, guys, he's cool. He's one of us. He's here. And I was like, that's crazy that you would think I'm one of you, but I'm so honored you think I'm, I'm in the crowd. We came to find out that those guys, we've become friends. And these guys in their networks and in their, their circles were starting to look out for us. And our house became protected in our street because I'd taken steps to share my life with these guys. When other houses were getting broken into from time to time, I felt safe because I'd built a relationship with these guys. And my faith was in Jesus. And so I look at this and I think, guys like Maymay, who's, who's wanting to know Jesus, and Dee, who's wanting to know Jesus, that would never have happened had I not been forced to take some steps of faith at the very beginning, overcome some barriers that were hindering me, and to bridge these gaps. And so I'm praying that God would continue to open doors and that I would be bold enough to take steps to engage with these guys and open the Bible with these guys and start reading the Bible with these guys. Another story, a few years ago, we, we were living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, working with the same organization, and, and uh, we'd started to get to know some other, other neighbors, but very superficially. And my wife, who's um, way bolder than I am, she said, I really want to get to know some of the other women on the street. And so we started talking about, what could, you know, what could we do to bridge some of the gaps? And, and she said, I think I want to start a book club. She loves to read. I, I'm not a reader so much. I was like, great. I will leave the house. You can talk about books. Uh, so she said, I'm going to do that. So she went around, knocked on some of the doors of the girls she'd gotten to know. She said, hey, I'm starting a, a book club. Would you be interested? Just We'll get together, share life, talk about a book we're reading. And these girls were like, I would love to do that. I would love to do that. So her and three other women on our street started meeting once a month in, in, in our living room, and they started talking about life. And Jesus became part of the conversation. Because my wife said, I'm going to let them know that he is one of my greatest passions in life, my greatest passion. And so they're talking about divorce, and they're talking about parenting issues. And you know, the, the girl next door was going through a terrible divorce, and my wife gets to come alongside her. She would never have been able to do that had she not knocked on the door and taken initiative. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, a couple months in, it might be a good idea for me to get to know the husbands. My wife's getting to know the wives. So I'm thinking, Lord, I've been a chicken. I haven't gotten to know these guys. And then I saw one of the guys starting to run early in the morning. I thought, well, I work with college students. I am 
older, not keeping up very well, it would probably do me good to start running, getting in shape. And uh, so I, I stopped the guy one time, and I said, hey, I saw you run early in the morning. Can I join you? He said, I'd love for you to join me. Let's run together. And then one of the other guys found out, and he started joining us. So we started running at 6.30, 7 in the morning, a couple days a week. I thought, this is so cool. I would never have gotten to know what's going on in their lives had I not initiated, started identifying common ground, engaging with them. So here's a few questions for you. Who do you interact with on a regular basis, people in your spheres of influence, neighbors, coworkers, people you work out with, co- classmates, who, who is it? Who do you interact with on a daily basis, regular basis, that you could cross these bridges with? And I want you to think specifically right now, who is someone you know whose name comes to your mind? And then secondly, when can you initiate the conversation with them this week? My tendency is to say, well, I should do this. And then I start thinking, I missed so many opportunities in the past. I should talk to this guy. You know, I'll get around to it at some point, and it's so vague. But when I say, this week, I want to talk to this guy, and I set my mind to it and it becomes a real goal, it's more likely to happen. So who and when can you initiate this week? I've missed so many opportunities, and I beat myself myself up over it. And I'm so thankful that the gospel is so applicable today, so much as it was when I first received Jesus. Because the gospel is not just a message of salvation. It's good news for the transformation of our lives to become more like Jesus. And when I miss opportunities, I want to take those as, as initiative to go out harder in the future, not to beat myself up. Jesus is saying he wants us to fix our eyes on him, not to look back at what we could have done. We look ahead. And I found this. I found that every person is asking a few questions, four questions. Here's here's four questions, I think, at our core. And it's part of how God has designed us. The first question is this. What will bring me joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment in life? Second question is this. What is my real purpose here and now? In other words, how will my life count? I think we're all asking a third question. Who will come alongside me and share life with me? We long for relationships. We long for like-minded friends. The fourth question is, what will happen to me after this life? Is this all that there is, or is there something more? What's going to happen? And as believers, we, we see, as Christians, we see the answer to all of these questions is found in the gospel. And it's, you know, it's, it's not just a Sunday school answer. The answer is Jesus is the only one that fulfills us, satisfies us, brings us joy. And it took a hard trip for me to realize that. So here's the need. How can we come alongside the people God has placed right around us? How can we come alongside these people and walk through these questions together? How can we help our friends and our community discover who Jesus is? The joy of following him. Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher in the uh, 1800s in England, 
He says this. He says, I would sooner bring one sinner to Jesus Christ than unravel all the mysteries of the divine word of God. For salvation is the one thing we are to live for. And this is a man who gave his life to studying the Bible. He says, I would rather bring one of my friends to Jesus than spend my whole life just studying and gathering knowledge and information. It's so much more important for my friends to have the same hope and joy that I have. Evangelism is a scary thing. I won't deny that. We have a lot of preconceived notions, but it all boils down to this. Sharing the truth of the good news and giving people an opportunity to respond. It's not preaching. It's not bringing a message of judgment or condemnation that often is associated. It's sharing the joy and the hope that we have in our relationship with God and then giving people a a chance to respond and engage with us. Robert Coleman, who's, who's an author, he says, merely because we are busy or even skilled, doing something does not necessarily mean we are getting anything accomplished. He says, are our efforts to keep things going fulfilling the great commission of Jesus? Everything we do must have a purpose. Otherwise, our activity can be lost in aimlessness and confusion. And let me tell you, friends, in the church, this is one of our greatest plagues. We get so involved in busyness, we get so involved in things that seem to be good, and they are often good, but often we lose sight of a greater purpose. We lose sight that there are a lot of people around us who would love to hear this news, this good news, especially when you open the paper and all you see is bad news most of the time. Let me close with this. You are part of God's sovereign plan for the salvation of someone else. You are part of that. Now, only God can save people. That's his job. And only he knows where people are in relationship to him. But he uses people like you and me to bring the saving news of Jesus to our friends. You are part of his sovereign plan. And so as you walk away, you have a choice to make today. You can, do, you can be one of four people. You can be abiding in Jesus. You can be apathetic toward this. You can be afraid of this. Or you can arrogantly say, I'm not going I'm, I'm to do this anyway. And I want to I ask you, not because it's a command, but because it's good. Because Jesus is good. Would we together be like Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, where he says, so, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become so very dear to us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is such a challenge for me. And when I think about sharing my story, when I think about engaging with people, Lord, I'm so challenged, and I, I have to wrestle through the barriers constantly But Lord, you are so good, and I want to run after you. And I pray that together, we as a people would engage in real life with you, and that we would take steps of boldness to invite the people around us, to initiate the conversations, God, to explore and investigate who you are. And so, Lord, would you empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit 
God, would you give us confidence and boldness? God, would you show us just how good you are? Lord, that we would, we would have no other choice but to say, I want the people around me to know this because it's so good. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be fixed on you. And, Lord, that we would not be disgruntled or distracted by the things around us. And that, Jesus, that we would pursue this life and we would bring other people into it. And so, Father God, is, this is such, such a thing that we need your help with. May you help us. In Jesus' name, amen.